We believe it's true that all we have is Christ, that Jesus has purchased for us all that we need, and he himself is what we need. He is the bread of life. Oh, Father, I pray that you would help us to feed on your son this morning, to enjoy him, to be satisfied by him, to be strengthened by him. He is what we need. More than anything he can give, we need your son. So open the eyes of our hearts. Help us to hear, to see what's in the text and to believe it because of the promise, whoever believes has eternal life. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So two weeks ago, we saw Jesus multiply bread and fish and feed over 5,000 people. We know it was 5,000 men. We assume it was many more. Matthew tells us that there were women and children as well. And a conversation starts with the crowd who he fed and him about bread. They want Jesus to start giving them bread for their stomachs every day. They know when Moses was leading the people in the wilderness, God gave them manna from heaven every day. And they're saying to Jesus, we want you to do the same. We want you to fill our bellies every day, just like you did over there on the mountain. Jesus has been sent by his father to do something infinitely greater, which is feed our souls. And how does he feed our souls? What kind of food can fill soul hunger, eternal longings? What kind of food can do that? The bread of life can. And who is the bread of life? Verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's talking about soul hunger, soul thirst. Jesus is what your soul needs from the top to the bottom. What your soul needs is Jesus, not just what he can give to you, but him. <laughs> you need to relate to him. The person of Jesus is what you were made for, and it's the only thing that will satisfy you forever. That's what fullness of life is, embracing Jesus. He's the bread for your soul. Now, Jesus is going to take this conversation in a surprise direction. He tells the crowd, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But he points out that most of the people who are listening to him don't believe in him. He points it out. Look at verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. So he's the bread of life. The Father has sent him to fill hungry souls to make them saved, to make them satisfied. And yet, most of the people listening to him don't believe. Is his ministry a failure? Do you get this? This is what he's been sent for, to satisfy souls, to be bread for our souls, if you just believe. But most of the people there don't believe. 
is his ministry a failure? This passage is going to show us why his ministry is not a failure. Even though many people don't believe in him. Jesus is going to tell us that every person who the Father gives to him will believe in him. There are no dropouts. There are zero instances of failure. There is an unbreakable chain between God the Father giving people to Jesus to save and those people believing. This is meant to be a great source of security for you. I hope it is this morning. This is what we're going to see. We're going to start by seeing this unbreakable connection between the Father giving people to Jesus and those people believing. It's unbreakable. And then we're going to see Jesus explain more why we need the Father to give us to him. Why we need the Father to draw us to him. And then we're going to see our responsibility in all of this. Our responsibility is to believe. And then at the very end, we're going to put it all together, and we're going to see there are four unbreakable promises to you if you're a part of this chain. And they're amazing. Now, just to tell you up front, this is probably going to tax your brain. Because Jesus is making an argument here. When I say argument, I don't mean like conflict. I mean he's drawing out logical, rational connections. He's making that kind of argument. And if you're going to be encouraged by what he's saying, you've got to follow along with his thoughts. So it's going to take some work, but it will be worth it. It will be worth it. So let's start by looking at this unbreakable connection. Jesus has told the people in verse 36, you don't believe in me. Now we should be blown away that the greatest preacher who ever lived, the greatest man who ever lived, while he was on this earth, did not have very many converts. I mean, we were talking as a group, and we'll see this in a couple weeks, There are thousands of people wanting, clamoring for him to be king right now. And by the end of this sermon, do you know what happens? Everyone leaves. The greatest preacher who ever lived. That should blow our minds. Is his ministry a failure? No. In verse 37, Jesus is going to begin to explain why his ministry is not a failure. He starts by saying, you can see this in verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Now, this is talking about people. When he uses the word all, we had a Bible study yesterday, there was a little confusion. What's Jesus saying when he says all that the Father gives to me? He's talking about people. The Father gives people to Jesus, particular people. And this is something that's going to be clear in the rest of John. You can follow along. John chapter 10, I'm going to read a few verses in John chapter 10, and then I'm going to read a few verses in John chapter 17, so that you can see throughout this gospel, 
Jesus keeps saying that the Father has given people to him. So here's John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So there you see, Jesus is saying, I have sheep. They listen to me. The Father gave them to me. He gave me these sheep. Here's John chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 6. In John 17, Jesus is praying to his Father. And this is what he says, starting in verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. So that's verse 6. He's saying, out of the world, the Father has given some people to Jesus. That's verse 6. And Jesus is saying, I manifested your name to them. Then in verse 9, Jesus goes on to say, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So Jesus is clear throughout the Gospel of John. The Father has not given all people in the world to him. The Father has given particular people to Jesus. So in John chapter 6, when Jesus says, all that the Father gives to me, he's talking about particular people. You can turn back to John chapter 6 now. Before we finish verse 37, I want to point something out to you in verse 35. In verse 35, Jesus mentions two actions, and they're the same thing. They're two different actions, but they're describing the same thing. He says, whoever comes to me, that's action number one, shall never hunger. And whoever believes in me, that's action number two, shall never thirst. Those two things are the same thing. Jesus is not describing a two-step process. First you come to me, and then I'll make sure you never hunger in your soul. Then you believe in me, and I'll make sure that you never thirst in your soul. No, they're the same thing. Coming to Jesus is believing in him. And believing in Jesus is a coming to him. It's not just believing facts about him. It's approaching a person and embracing him. So those two words are filling each other out. Coming to Jesus is believing in him. And this is important because in the next several verses, coming to Jesus and believing in Jesus are used several times, and they're talking about the same thing. So when Jesus says in verse 37, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, he means all that the Father gives to me will believe in me. God the Father begins your salvation before you believe. Do you see that? The process does not start with you believing. Your salvation begins with the Father giving you to Jesus before you believe. You see that? It's not the other way around. He does not say, 
Whoever comes to me, the Father will give to me. He says, whoever the Father gives to me will believe. Hear how absolute this is. Look at the sentence yourself. Everyone, all, everyone that the Father gives will believe in Jesus. All of them. If God the Father gives a person to Jesus, that person will believe in him. This is an unbreakable spiritual chain. If it's not, Jesus' argument doesn't work here. It's unbreakable. There are no people that the Father gives to Jesus who don't end up believing in Jesus. That's the first major step in Jesus' argument as to why his ministry is not a failure, even though the majority of the people who are listening to him don't believe. It's not a failure because there are no people that the Father has given to him who will not believe in the end. For those of you who are in ministry or for those of you who share the gospel with unbelievers, which should be all of us, there will be times when you pray for people earnestly and you share the gospel clearly with them and they don't believe. It does not mean that your ministry is a failure. Those whom the Father gives to Jesus will believe. And there's the flip side. There are people out there whom the Father has given to Jesus. And when you preach the gospel to them, they will believe. They must. You don't know who they are. So you preach the gospel freely to anyone who will listen. The invitation is whoever will believe. But those whom the Father has given must come. They will come. That's the promise in this verse. Because he has those whom he has given to his Son scattered throughout every tribe, tongue, language, and people. There's motivation to go. They must come. You pray, you preach, you remember this verse, and you endure. Now, Jesus is going to explain more. He's going to talk more about the Father's work in starting your salvation before you believe. This is the second section. So in verses 41 and 42, the crowd is offended at Jesus. He's claiming to be from heaven, and since they know his adoptive father, Joseph, and they know his earthly mother, Mary, they're grumbling. See the text says that? How dare this guy say he's from heaven? We know his parents. We grew up with this kid. How dare he? Now look what Jesus does. He does not explain to them how it is that he is from heaven. He doesn't do that. Rather, he explains again why they don't believe. They disbelieve not because the facts are difficult to grapple with. They don't believe because something deeper is going on. Look at verses 43 and 44. Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. 
No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So in verse 37, he says, all that the Father has given to me will believe in me. And here he's saying, unless the Father draws them, they won't. They can't. Do you see it? Do you see it for yourself? I mean, it's really important. The day of podcasts and internet, you can listen to a million voices about theological topics. You've got to see it for yourself. If it's there, it's true. No matter what I say or anyone else says, do you see it? No one can believe in Jesus if his father does not first give that person to him and draw that person to him. Now, why must you be drawn by the father? Do you know what it means for the father to draw people? It means pulled. It's what drawn means. You and I are like horses, if you're familiar with horses, but horses don't naturally just listen to you when you give them commands with your voice. You can say, come on, it's not going to listen to you, unless it's been trained. Get in the barn, it's not going to listen to you. Eat your dinner, it's not going to do it. You've got to train a horse. You've got to put a bridle on its head, put a rein on, a rein or a rope, and make it go where you want. We're like horses that have found something good to eat. Bag of sugar cubes, bag of apples out in the fields. There could be a big dangerous storm coming, but we're not going into the safety of the barn because we want to eat apples unless someone pulls us into the barn. Unless we're drawn into safety, we won't come. This is all of us. We enter this world not wanting God. We're satisfied with sin, the pleasures of this world, success, and unless God draws us, we will live our whole lives unwilling to come to the greatest joy and safety and satisfaction that there is. We just won't do it. Our problem is worse than we think. Because as Christians, we know, I need a Savior. I'm a sinner. Someone has to save me. That's our problem, right? Our problem goes deeper. It's not just that we're sinners and we need somebody else to save us. We have another problem. We're in danger and we don't care. We don't care. Someone says, you don't have God. We say, I don't care. Why do I need God? Unless God pulls our hearts to Jesus. Now, there's a difference between us and horses. God doesn't yank us by a rope against our will to his son. He draws us by changing our hearts so that we are drawn to see the beauty of Jesus. We're drawn to see the beauty of the safety of the barn. He draws our wills, our hearts, to see what's truly valuable. Before we treasured sin, it was death, rot. And he opened our eyes to see what it was and to see how precious he is. That's how he draws our hearts. Many people think of humans as balanced between good and evil, right? We're just there right in the middle, balanced. 
with the right information will tip towards loving God or the right amount of willpower or without the right amount of information or willpower will tumble into sin. That's not how the Bible talks about us. If you think that human beings are blank slates, we're all innocent. That's how we are. This passage is going to give you problems because it's going to seem like God is not fair. Oh, I want you, not you. You, not you. You, not you. That's not how it is. All of us have rejected God. We hate him. We have walked away from him. We don't want to face him. We want nothing to do with him. We hate him. We've moved as far across the room as we possibly can so we can enjoy our sin over here. And he can plead with us and tell us how beautiful his son is and how gracious he is, but we want nothing to do with him. And we will not turn around unless he walks across the room and grabs our shoulder and turns us to see how precious he is. That's all of us. We are desperately sick, ladies and gentlemen. We will never come to God. We will never humble ourselves before him. We won't come to Jesus for life unless the Father draws us. If you believe, if any of you believe, you should say, thank you. Not to yourself for your superior intellect or your natural good nature, but to him. This truth is meant to increase your worship. The depths that God has gone to save us are deeper than we think. The lengths that he has gone are wider than we know. We would never come to him if he did not draw us. Now, in verse 45, Jesus quotes from the Old Testament to confirm that the Father told us beforehand in the Old Testament that he would have to draw people to Jesus for them to come. That's what verse 45 is. He's quoting, he's saying, verse 45, it's written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God everyone has heard and learned from the Father, comes to me. And in verse 46, Jesus is making clear that the way that God the Father draws people to himself is not by appearing to them and telling them to follow Jesus. No, Jesus says in verse 46, you can look at it for yourself, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. That's a peculiar verse, isn't it? I think what Jesus is saying is this. Listen, guys, when I say that the Father has to teach you if you're going to come to me, when I say that the Father has to draw you if you're going to come to me, I don't mean that he's going to show up and say to you, Ajith, I want you to trust in Jesus. And then you go and trust in Jesus. Jesus is saying here, no, 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 no. You don't get to see God. That's not how he draws people. He's not going to appear to you. I get to, see I get to see the Father. Sorry. You don't get to see the Father. I've seen the Father. And if you want to know him, you come to me. 
And as you come to me, that's how the Father will invisibly draw you. He does not want people to listen to this and go, okay, well, if the Father has to draw people, I'm going to go into my room. I'm not going to listen to another word you say, Jesus, until the Father shows up and tells me I ought to listen to you. Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's not how it works. You don't get to see him like that. I see him. If you want to encounter him, you listen to me. And as you listen to me, the Father will invisibly draw you to me. That's how it works. That's what verse 46 is telling us. There are implications for us in how we share the gospel here. Because if the way that people are drawn to Jesus is through them encountering Jesus, it means we have to share the gospel with people. We've got to tell people about Jesus. We have to share the good news of what he's done so that they can encounter him. And through that encounter of him, the Father will draw them to Jesus. We should be careful There are some people who come to texts like this and they say, well, if God's given people to Jesus, he's going to save them whether I share the gospel with them or not. Yes, he is going to save them, but he's going to do it through somebody else sharing the gospel with them. And you miss everything. There's some people who come to texts like this and they say, well, if God's going to save who he's going to save, I'm not going to pray for people because he's going to do it anyways. Yes, through somebody else's prayers, you miss everything. The way that God draws people to himself, the way he accomplishes it, is through the preaching of the gospel and through us pleading on people's behalf. This might not fit into your mental mold. How does this fit into my brain? The Bible's not supposed to fit into your mental mold. You know what I mean by mold? I mean rot. I mean shape. Your mind already has a shape to it. Sometimes the Bible doesn't fit. That's not the way it's supposed to work. Your mind is supposed to be molded into the shape of the Scripture. We must share the gospel and call people to believe. And through it, those that the Father has given to his Son, he will draw to his Son. That's how it works. So we must preach the gospel and call people to believe. The Father will draw people to himself, but we must call people to believe. We must believe. That's the responsibility. You can read this passage and you might say, well, what am I responsible to do then? God gives people. God draws people. You do have a responsibility in this passage to believe. You must believe. This is section number three. Many people get hung up when they read the Bible and they see God chooses and gives people to his son. And that's the only way they'll believe I know that means God gets all the credit for our salvation, and he does. 
But sometimes those people wonder, well, how can I know if I've been chosen? How can I know whether or not the Father has drawn me to be saved? The answer is, do you believe? Do you believe? Everyone who believes will be saved. Period. You and I don't get to see who the Father has given to Jesus. We don't get to see it. Jesus knows, by the way. Later on in this chapter, he's going to say to the 12, I chose the 12 of you. I know one of you is a devil. And he's talking about Judas who will betray him. You and I don't get that information. We have to work backwards. We know that if we believe, it's only because the Father drew us to believe. Because He gave us to His Son. You and I don't start by figuring out if the Father has given us to His Son and if He is drawing us to Himself to then determine whether we should believe or not. That's not how it works. Jesus calls us to believe. And if we believe, we know we have eternal life. Do you see that in verse 47? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Which means there's never an instance of someone believing and the father saying, nope, sorry, I didn't give you to my son. Whoever believes has eternal life. If you believe right now, you have eternal life. And then you can look back and thank God and say, I never would have come if you hadn't worked first. Thank you. Believe and you will be saved. You must. That's the call. That's what we need to tell people. Believe. If you believe, you'll be saved. And then we can look farther back and thank the Lord. So do that with others. Don't take this text and say, oh, God gives some people to Jesus. He's got to draw them. Our responsibility is to tell people, if you believe, you'll be saved. And if they believe they will be saved. Now, let's put the whole thing together and let's see that this unbreakable chain from the Father giving us to Jesus to the Father drawing us to Jesus to us believing in Jesus, this unbreakable chain guarantees, guarantees four promises for you. So follow Jesus' logic. Jesus is working with logic here if the Father has given you to Jesus, you will believe in Him. And if you believe in Him, promise one, Jesus will never cast you out. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. If you believe in Jesus, he will never turn you away, ever. He never turns away anyone who believes in him because 
Those are the people the Father has given to him. You can have complete confidence that Jesus is not going to get tired of you someday. Tired of you sinning again. Tired of your weakness. You will never be evicted from his love. You will never be told to move out. When you knock and come in his door, he will never be upset that it's you. If you believe him. He will never cast you out. That's an amazing promise. What if I sin horribly? He will never cast you out. Ever. Here's the second promise. It's like the first. Follow along in verses 38 and 39. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. So here's the second promise. If you believe in Jesus, you will continue in him forever. Everyone whom the Father has given to Jesus comes to him and believes. Got that? And the Father's will, this is what Jesus is saying, is that Jesus loses no one that the Father has given to him. Do you know how secure you are, Christian? You must continue to believe in order to be saved. We saw that in the book of Hebrews. Some incredible warnings in the book of Hebrews. You have to continue to believe in order to be saved. But how do you know that you're going to keep believing? Do you ever get scared? I do. What if I stop? What if I give up? What if I don't continue to believe? Jesus has committed himself to seeing that that never happens. Now, we all know people who claim to be Christians and perhaps lived like Christians who walked away, but they never really believed. We know that from this text. Because all who believed have been given by the Father, and the Father has told Jesus, those people I give to you, make sure none of them are lost. And he will. All those who believe will endure. Why? Why? Is it because we have superior willpower? No. It's because Jesus has committed himself and all that he is to making sure that you continue to believe. Trust this promise when you fear for the future of your soul. This is a precious text. Promise three. All those whom the Father has given to Jesus will believe, and all who believe have eternal life. We saw this already in verse 47, but again in verse 40. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. Jesus is guaranteeing that if you believe in him, you'll live forever. And why is he guaranteeing this? 
again. Because those who believe in him are given to him from his father, and his father has tasked Jesus with giving them life. With all that he is, Jesus is committed to that. Promise four. If you believe in Jesus, you will be resurrected on the last day. Verses 39 and 40. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So not only will you live forever, you will live forever with a resurrected body. That means it's new and perfect. You will have a body that is strong and free to enjoy God with more power and energy and happiness than you have had on your best day. You'll have a body that's free from the effects of sin, sickness, weariness, and death. Jesus is promising that he will do this for you if you believe. Because... And again, this chain is so important for this text. Because if you believe, you are one of those that the Father has given to the Son and drawn to Him. And therefore, Jesus is committed to raising you up. The fact that God is sovereign means in control, choosing people, telling people who they are, and drawing those people to Himself is not a fun theological game. When we know people who use theology for fun, they just like to argue. Now, theology is worth arguing about, but only if the product is life. This is not a game. It's the foundation of our confidence in the promises of Jesus. We don't know who God has chosen. We simply know who believes. But, and this is so precious, when we know that we believe, our confidence in Jesus, keeping his promises to us, is rooted deeper than our belief. It has a root that's deeper than our belief. Our confidence that God is going to keep his promises to us is not rooted in our current faithfulness or spiritual health, but with the fact that the Father has tasked him with keeping us believing until the end, giving us eternal life and raising us up. There can be no failure, no dropouts, Our security is sure. So believe, believe, and rejoice in the gracious initiative of God to save you and to ensure your hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these promises that you have given to us through your Son. Oh, thank you. I pray that we would be people whose minds are molded to fit the Scripture. That where we need to change in our thinking, our understanding, you would help us, God. Not so that we can win theological games, but so that we can have the kind of hope 
confidence, stability you intend to give us through the truth. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to believe these magnificent promises and to live on them when we're scared, when we feel like giving up, that we would run to these promises and find help and comfort. Thank you that you have tasked your son with losing nothing of all that you've given. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen.